Good morning. Your student, you're dismissed to go with Miss Morgan and Mr. Weldon. Oh, Michael. How's grandbaby? Or grandbabies? Everybody good? Okay. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm glad because I'm tired of praying. Oh, because I'm tired of praying about that. I'm ready to move on something bigger and better. Uh, I am. I maybe, just, not, I get, maybe not so, better. Well, not better, but just something else. So I'm glad. That's, I'm thankful. I really am. Woo. Okay, that's been how long? It's a long time. And how old is she? Yeah, so I, I, I've been praying a long time about that deal. So, um, Okay. Hmm. Welcome. I greet you in the name of my Savior. Um, I'm happy to be here with y'all. I'm happy that you're here with me. We're in the middle of a... Actually, we're ending today. Today? A, 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 a four-part study that we've been doing uh, on... Indicators of whether or not our relationships, our significant relationships, our most valuable relationships are healthy, satisfying, and are going to last, going to endure, going to make it to the end. Um, and the, 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 a lot of this information I got as I told y'all, from John Gottman, who is one of the leading authorities on relationships in the world, secular or, or any, anybody, anybody that has a brain would, would recognize that. Um, and um, what struck me is that the things that he says, these four indicators, among others, I just pulled these out. If you see these four indicators, operating effectively in your significant relationships, you have a 97% expectation or, or reason to believe your relationship, your partner, the person you're in a relationship with, this relationship is healthy. Your partner and you are satisfied. And this is going to last. You're going to grow old in this relationship. 97, that, that's not, you know, 50 or, you know, 97%. He says, that, that's, that if you, but you got to see these in your relationship. And we, we've talked about the first three. Um, he says that you got to have trust. You got to have loyalty. And you've got to have shared power. And we've talked uh, each week, the last three weeks, about each one of those. Um, I've mentioned almost every week, if not every week, that all four of these, among other qualities, relational qualities, they were lost when Adam and Eve told God, no thank you. We know how to live life better than you do. We're smarter than you. We understand relationships better than you. So no thank you. And when they made that choice, um, our relationships both with God and with each other um, imploded, exploded, began to deteriorate. 
And uh, the, the good news of the, of the Bible is that immediately God began the busy, busy work of restoring these very things, these things that were lost in the fall uh, relationally, he began to restore them, to heal them uh, in our relationship with him and in our relationship with each other. And as I said, hello. Um, as I said, we, we looked at trust, relationships that are healthy, satisfying, and that last. They have a very strong measure of trust within those relationships. And we talked about trust. We create trust and then we protect trust in relationships when we tell each other the truth, which is scary and risky and uncomfortable at times. But we, we risk telling each other the truth. We're willing to hear the truth when it's said as well. And we do what we say. If I'm in a relationship with Larry Hahn, which I am, he's, he's a friend of mine, I will trust you or I will not trust you. I still might love you. I have to do with love. In fact, did you notice all four, none, none of the four that he gives have anything to do with love? Or feeling. Or feeling. But I will trust you based upon, in our relationship, based upon whether or not you tell me the truth even when I don't want to hear it. And I'll trust you if every time you tell me something, you do what you say. You do what you say. Okay, so trust. Second quality we looked at was the quality of loyalty. Loyalty, being that belief, you've convinced me that I matter, that I'm important that you believe in me. We, we will, our relationships will not be healthy, they'll not be satisfying, and they will not, unless they cannot sustain long-term the message, you're not important. There are a, a, a galaxy, a universe of things that are more important than you. You're not valuable, and I do not believe in you. I do not believe in you. Okay, it won't, won't work. That's what John Gottman says. Third thing he talks about, which I said last week was the most meaningful for me, just in what I'm working on with my wife, and I have been working on with her for 40 years, and that is shared power. Part of the fall, part, one of the results of the fall was that immediately you had relationships full of competition. You want to run the show, I want to run the show. Hence, we, there's a problem there. But, in, but what God's trying to do in our relationship and in your relationship, but amazingly, and that was, a whole, that was a part, the whole thing last week that I found the most significant, God lives out what He wants us to do. God's not one of these people that says, do what I tell you, not what I do. God, of all people in the universe... He delights in sharing His power with us. He wants a relationship with us, not where we say, Sir, yes, sir, thank you, sir. God finds no joy in that. He's not looking for that. He's looking for sons and daughters. 
and people that will join him that he's inviting into the things that he finds important and wonderful and lasting and meaningful. And so he's inviting us into these shared power relationships. Relationships where one person's not the boss. Relationships where one person doesn't consistently win on the things that matter. Now you can win, you know, on our view of the Ukraine-Russian crisis. You can win on, uh, you know, the color, what kind of toilet paper we buy at the grocery store. Uh, but on anything that matters like kids, our kids, our finances, our, uh, anything that matters, I got that. That relationship will not be healthy. That relationship will not be satisfying. And that relationship will not last. I don't think that in a relationship like that, part of the reason why it can't last is because even in a joke, like we were just doing, even mm -hmm. in this funny little joke about toilet paper, uh, that when power's not shared, since someone's the boss, that person can rarely, if ever, maybe never, do it without condescension. Mm. And nobody mm. thrives under condescension. Mm. Everything withers under condescension. Children yeah. wither, yeah. whoever the not the boss is withers. Yes. Nothing can thrive. The non-boss withers. That's, that's, that's exactly right. And we talked last week about the idea that the goal in a, or what, what, you, what we have to work on to make sure that there is shared power is that, in, that consistently in every decision we either compromise and find middle ground or we take turns. This isn't hard. That's what's shocking about Gottman. He doesn't share these deep. I read dudes every day that I read it, and then I have to reread it, and then I have to reread it, and then I read it ten times, and I go, I still don't know what that person's saying. There is nothing confusing about this. There is nothing difficult. The only thing that the, the struggle is that I am full of pride and I am lazy. Because this demands humility and this demands hard work. I got another, got a pill? No, no. So uh, today, we're going to look at the fourth one that Dr. Gottman talks about, and that is the importance of how I respond when my significant person reaches out to me for connection. How do I respond when my wife reaches out to me for connection? Gottman says, quote, relationships succeed or fail based upon how well we respond to the other person's request for connection. And let me give you some examples. These are his examples, but let me give them to you. Proximity. Hmm. What he's talking about is literally where and how we sit by each other. When, when we're in the same proximity, am I communicating distance or welcome? Rejection or welcome? Distance or, forgive the word, connection? Proximity. When I'm in the same room, does 
my, the way I live, behave, act, communicate distance or intimacy. Welcome or rejection. Embrace. There are certain people, I won't mention names, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but there are certain people in this room, I love for you to come to church. You know why? Because you're going to give me a hug. And you give a real hug. You know, not these Christian hugs. Like that. That's fine. You know, but I, I, that does nothing for me. That does nothing for me. There are certain people that they, they either do or they would if they could. They'd pick you up off the ground with their hug. How do we hug those that are the most important to us? With a hug that makes them feel like we pick them up off the ground? Or that... God bless you. God bless you kind of a hug. <laughs> touch. How often I touch her. I'm not talking about... You, could, you can ultimately draw this to romance and sexual intimacy. But that's not what we're talking about right now. We're just talking about... do. We are reaching out for connection. When I touch you, I'm reaching out for connection. Do I feel a response? I mean, do I feel some kind of reciprocity? Do I feel almost like a stranger would touch you and you sort of draw back? Questions. I thought this was interesting. One of the ways that we reach out for connection is we ask each other questions. Mm. Yes. How was your day? Yes, we do ask questions. Mm. Yes. That's, and and that's, what comes after that's a stupid good God. question? <laughs> yes, yes. No, no, that's a question. <laughs> what comes after a good question? You ask the question back. Yeah, with a with a with another question. With, an, with another question and with an answer. That all Gottman says these are all attempts by people to reach out for connection. When I tell my wife she asked me, How's my, how was my day today? And I say, fine. I am impacting her attempt to reach out to me for connection. And it's not in a good way. It's not in a good way. Questions and answers. Request asking people to do things. It's as simple as handing you something. Or when you go in the other room, could you get that for me? Request for help or attempts to reach out. Smiles and reciprocal smiles. Eye contact and reciprocal eye contact. Compliments. And as when somebody gives you a compliment, thanks. <laughs> well, no, that, no that, that wasn't the right deal. I, you give them a compliment. And then invitations to participate. Every day, 300 and, that's not true, 355 days a year, I reach out to my wife for connection. Well, in many ways. But one way, 355 days a year, I reach out for, to my wife for connection by asking her to go on a walk with me. I want connection with her and I want her to participate with me. It can be anything, anything. But when, we, when there is a request made by this significant person, it's with, we get it with children. 
-hmm. Would you color with me? Mm -hmm. Would you watch this cartoon with me? Would you read me a book? Or would you let me read you a book? We get, it is so simple. It's, we're not doing this because we don't understand. That's not the problem. Couples, this is all Gottman, couples with healthy, satisfying, and lasting relationships turn to their mate, he would say mate, but it can be any significant person, 20 times a day more often than unhappy couples. And he says, why? Because we train the other person to turn to us, to reach out to us more or less based upon whether we make them feel welcome or rejected. The more I, when you reach out to me and I respond by making you feel welcome, it's like throwing gasoline on a fire. You'll reach out more. If I make you feel unwelcome, you stop. I teach you to stop. We go to, man, we have this restaurant we go to all the time. We love it. We start going to the restaurant and sign, knock on, go to the door, it's locked. Okay, you know, somebody's sick, something happened. You know, three or four days later, you go back to the same restaurant, still locked. There'll be a day if the door keeps being locked where we won't go anymore. That happens in our marriages and in our significant relationships as well. We, our past experiences in this relationship of either being made to feel welcome or unwelcome. Oh, okay. <laughs> or I, nothing in the world matters more. Nothing in the world makes me happier. That's going to teach our significant other, whether it's your parent, your child, your friend, your, your, your mate, to turn more or to turn less. We must learn, according to Gottman, the challenge of marriage is learning to re request well and to respond to request well. And both of those are learned behavior. Some of us do that better. Some of us do it worse. But we can all learn to do it better. The challenge, the go, the, the, the challenge of marriage is learning to request well. Some of us, one of the problems is we don't request well. Do we request connection effectively based upon the person we're requesting? And when the request is made, does the other person respond well? Requesting well takes courage and it takes honesty. I need you. And we don't want to do that. We don't, we don't want to communicate that. That sounds weak, needy. And responding to request, that takes humility. Remember we were talking about that little article? That's his list? Yeah, yeah, you want to share that? Yeah. I, so, I, we thought this was sort of interesting. Well, there's a um, uh, C.S. Lewis book called The Screwtape Letters. It's a cool book. 
read it if you get a chance. Anyway, it's, it's actually two devils talking with one another. It's a reverse of what you'd, you'd expect. Two devils talking to one another about how to trip people up. Um, and one of the, the, and so in this particular conversation, um, they're talking about how, how, pretty much how selfish people are, human beings are, with their time. And so if you want to trip people up, if you want to trip up your, like if the devils want to, you know, um, trip us up, it's by having other people come in and encroach on our time. And so the whole thing mm. is about that. There's a couple of good lines I might read here in a second. But... To Larry's point, a big portion of, really, all of connection with a friend, with a spouse, with a, a new friend, with a child, with any, is, it takes time. Which is costly. And, and I have to give that. And I have to make that time. There's this wonderful line here in this piece that says, um, um, Let's see where I want to start. This angers him because he, his time, he feels his time is his own and that when it's required that he spend more time, he feels that it's been stolen from him. Mm. My time is my own. I have the, uh, let him have the feeling that he starts each day the lawful possessor of 24 hours. Let him feel a grievous tax that portion his property, which he has to make over to his employers. But what he must never be permitted to doubt is the total from which these deductions have been made in some mysterious sense is his own birthright. I think that's a great point. My time is my own. The ownership of our time. And you, person I'm in relationship with, take too much of it. It's funny, though. Mm. Or a, how dare you take, try to take any of it. It's mine. Yeah, it's it's, it's mine. Yeah. You know, so that, that, I love that line, that birthright that I have, that's it, my time, it's my life. It, this is, I only have 24 hours a day and only have X number of days. And so how dare you encroach. Mm. That is death, of course, to a relationship. Because a healthy relationship is all these things he's been saying. Mm -hmm. And all of that takes effort, thought, and time. I'll go ahead and out myself. I mean, we've been walking, taking these walks for years and years and years and years and years. But, um, do we? Uh-huh. Oh. Uh-huh. Yes, we do. And when you walk with Larry, he, he's a far walker. walker. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of time. And in the beginning, I was like, years ago, I was like, dude, you walk too far. I, I, let's take a short walk. I got things to do. But through this investment of time, through walking every day, pretty much every day, um, now, it's, now it is, it's not his time and, and my time. Now it's our time. Mm. It's become our time. We count on it. Mm. Sometimes it's quiet. Sometimes it's chatty. But it belongs to the two of us. And that's a special mm. thing. No one is questioning or denying that when somebody reaches out to you or to me for connection there's a cost there's a cost to that there's a cost to that for you there's a cost to that for, it's just a matter of we're all we're all spending it it's just a who who do you feel like is the best long-term investment uh, who does God think is the best long-term 
investment. Again, we're going to get busy. Sometimes it is reasonable to say, I cannot give you, you're reaching out for, a, for connection. I cannot give that to you right now. Give me 30 minutes. Give me 10 minutes. Can we do it tomorrow? Sometimes it has to be delayed, of course. Question is, what do I do when the 10 minutes is up? What do I do when the 30 minutes is up? What do I do the next day? It's when it's day in, day out, day in, day out. This is mine. Mm-hmm. And you are encroaching. And it, the, the, I don't want to spend my, my time, money on you. Yeah. And this is tricky when you have a, a lot of people in your life and when you have a lot of people in your house, like with kids and it's, I, I understand that. It takes a lot of time to give to everybody. But, but what's a, you, I, we have to consider the alternative. So if I tend to my children, 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 and just with you because you're a grown-up, I say, well, you're a grown-up and you can do that yourself. That's true. But all of a sudden, that yes. goes, 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 goes. And I wonder, and then I'm like, where have you been? I don't ever see you. Well, that is because for all this time, I have not had time for you. And Gottman says that the result of making somebody week after week, month after month, year after year, feel unwelcome when they reach out for connection is that there'll be a day when they find another place to reach. And I would add to that, and I believe this, some of you do not believe this. I know you, and I know you don't agree with this, and that's okay. You keep growing, you'll, you'll, you'll see. You will never give your child a greater gift than the gift of communicating you have to wait your turn. You have to wait your turn. We have a world full of people that are selfish brats. They might be 45 years old, but they were never taught you got to wait your turn. We will never give our children a, a greater gift than the gift of telling them, right now, dad or mom, they get my time. They get my attention. Not all of it. Everybody, everybody's got to share, right? Okay. He ends with this. He says, making your mate feel welcome when they request connection is an incredibly small thing. But there is nothing that makes a bigger difference in the relationship. That is a, that's, big, that's bold talk, as John Wayne would say. That's bold talk. Making your mate feel welcome when requesting connection is a small thing, a touch, a look, a response, a request, a, cact- a question. But nothing makes a bigger difference. That's why Paul said in Romans 12, be devoted to each other in love and honor the other above yourself. He said in Ephesians 5, you must love your mate as you love yourself. And in Philippians 2, humbly value one another above yourself. This is not what this lesson is about, but he, he, we're instructed to love even our enemies. And yes. Pray for them. So 
if that's the instruction, well, goodness gracious, mm -hmm. what about those who are our significant relationships? Yes. Real quickly, what's wonderful, regardless of who you are or where you are in your journey of life, is that there is somebody who all, always is ready to give us the connection that we request. She can't always do that. You can't always do that for whoever it is in your life. But there is someone, and you know, we were talking about, um, uh, not Rahab, who was I talking about? Hagar. Hagar, thank you, yeah, Hagar in Genesis 16. Uh, it's an incredible story, and it's, an, it's, it's actually a tragic story. It was one of the lowest points in the life of Abraham, the father of our faith. And, I mean, he was a giant. He was incredible. And yet, as with all giants, they have bad moments and low points, and they make bad decisions. And you see this in Genesis 16. Um, uh, uh, do you tell them the story real quickly? Y'all remember that story where um, Abraham and Sarah couldn't have a baby, and so Sarah's maid, uh, maiden, maid lady, um, <clears throat> servant, uh, they decided that, that Hag her name was Hagar, Hagar and Abraham would produce a child together. That was Sarah's idea, right? And she was in, in, in full agreement with that, and that that child would become the, the heir and all of that. Well, so that's what happened. Hagar has a baby, Ishmael, well, immediately. Sarah's mad, she's jealous, she's not having a baby of her own. And as the story goes, um, so eventually, Sarah just says, I can't stand it anymore, I'm so mad at her, I'm so jealous. It's, <laughs> it makes sense. I want, what, I want what I can't have, so I'm gonna, can you help me? Can you do it? Can you give it to me? And so you give me s some pseudo part of that. And then I'm mad, and it was my idea, and I throw the thing out. It, it sounds very American to me. Mm. <laughs> Although Abraham and Sarah were not Americans. Anyway, and so they kick Hagar and the baby Ishmael out into the desert. And they are dying. It's the desert. She doesn't have any way to get food for this baby, and there's no water. And so I think where Larry is going with this is she prays to God, the God of Abraham. I'm out here. I do not deserve to be out here. I don't even know how this happened. All I did was what they asked me to do, and now I'm out in the desert with a baby and no water. <clears throat> and God speaks to her. She reaches out for connection. She yeah. reaches out to God for connection, and God instantly comes, and he reveals himself to this lady, to Hagar, and Hagar ultimately gives God a new name. He, she, calls, she says, this is, this is El Roy, the God who sees, hmm. the God who hears, the God who comes, who, who gives me attention, who comes to me. When I am in need, when, I, when I'm reaching out for connection, this God, this God of Abraham, this God, he comes he hears, he sees, he gives attention. Literally, the Hebrew idea is, he is mindful of me. He directs his mind 
toward me. I, I love That's that. That's a great word. Yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible image. Um, I'll, one of the things I'll never, I'll never forget the moment, uh, a, couple of, a couple of years ago now, I guess, or a year and a half ago, Shirley's daddy passed away. And um, I'll never forget, during COVID, and um, he, her daddy had to go into the emergency room. And literally, you remember, at that time, they just put you on a gurney and rolled you out in the hall and you just sat there for hours sometimes, days sometimes. And I'll, I'm a fixer. I'm a rescuer. I'm a helper. That's who I am. That's what I do. One of the hardest moments of my life was watching you and your mama. Y'all were dying for somebody to give you some attention so you could find out how your dad was doing. And there wasn't anybody. No, and I'm not criticizing the hospital. They, no, they were, were, doing they were they overwhelmed. Could do. they, could, they were doing more than they could do. Um, but there was, you were dying. You were reaching out for attention. You were reaching out for connection. You were reaching out for somebody to see you and hear you and help you. And there wasn't anybody, and I couldn't do anything about that. I couldn't make that better. I couldn't make that go away. And uh, it was a, that was a that was a that wasn't a good deal. And you know, you, every one of us have felt that. Whether it's you're sitting in a restaurant and you're dying to get a waiter's attention, you can't get him. Or you're in the airport and your flight's been canceled and you're dying to talk to somebody with the airline, but there isn't anybody to talk to or whatever it would be whether it's um, trying to get something done with the United States government God help you or or getting your cable TV oh. fixed um, or, or sitting in a hospital waiting room uh, waiting for somebody to see a loved one and all these examples we understand how it feels to want to connect with somebody to help us. And there isn't anyone. Well, that's a great example because that's how it feels to our people in our lives when they are yes. reaching out and we are like the airport person saying, yes. dude, I got nothing for you. Yes. Yes. The Bible says that the, that the God of Abraham, the God of Hagar, the God of David and, and Moses... He is constantly and continually observing us, aware of what's going on in our lives. He's seeing us and hearing us, and He is ready to come to connect with us. He's always ready to give us connection. One of my favorite stories in the whole Bible that, valid, or that illustrates this so well is, uh, I think it's in Luke Oh, a crud ball. It's either 15 or 19. But it's about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the wee little man, he'd heard about Jesus. And he heard that Jesus was going to come walking through his town. He wanted to connect with Jesus. He just wanted to connect with him. Busy, busy Jesus. Important, important Jesus. Man, he was rocking and rolling. He had all... So Zacchaeus climbs up in a tree and waits on Jesus. And when Jesus walks into the tree... The Bible says that he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, 
You come down right now because i got to spend the day with you. Zacchaeus wanted connection and Jesus gave it to him. We live in a world where people, noble reasons, ignoble reasons, um, can't or won't give us the connection that we long for. And sometimes they're as wrong as they can be, and sometimes they, they just can't juggle all the balls they got. But the God who has declared His love for you and proven it by dying on the cross and rising from the grave, He would want me to tell you today, you need connection, I'm ready to give it to you. Anytime you want it, I will come. I will come. He, the Bible is filled with promises from God that He is ready to give us. He's watching. He's attentive. He's mindful. We read this last week in Psalm 8 under a different idea, but I, it caught my mind. In Psalm 8 it says, What is mankind that you, O God, are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? Now, the it's a great question. Why in the world are you mindful of us? Why in the world do you care about us? We don't have time to talk about that today, but the point is, He is mindful. He does care. He is looking. He is seeing. He is ready to connect. In Psalm 18, David says, In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry came before him into his ears. Later in Psalm 34 he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to the Lord will have faces of radiance. wonder where David got that from. People that want connection with God and cry out to God for connection, one of the things that happens is when God comes, He gives them faces of radiance. I wonder if He was thinking about Moses. Moses would go into the tent. He wanted connection with God. And God would give it to him, and His radiance would spill over onto, onto Moses, and it changed his countenance. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Psalm 66 says, God heard and attended to my prayer. Blessed be the God who has not rejected my request. And this is one of my favorites. Uh, uh, Psalm 66. No, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Isaiah 65. Before my people call, I will answer them. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Isn't that awesome? Before I can even get my request for connection out. God says, I'm already on that. I'm already on my way. I'm already coming. I'm ready to connect with you. The connection uh, challenge isn't on my side. I'm just waiting on you. I want to come and connect. 1 Peter 3, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their prayers. And 1 John 5, this is our confidence that if we ask God for anything according to His will, He will hear us. Jesus says in John 13, I give you a new command. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
The connection that Jesus offers me 24-7. Jesus challenges me to offer my bride. Maybe not as effectively as my Savior. But he says the goal is for you and I to offer those that are important to us, that God has placed us in connection with. He wants us to relate to them, to respond to their request for connection the way Jesus does us. Okay, we're going to end. Thank you, friend. Um, I was just thinking about Hebrews chapter 4 where Paul says, Let us confidently draw near to God's throne of grace and we will receive mercy and grace. Let us confidently reach out to God for connection based upon His promise that if we request connection, He will give us that connection, that mercy, and that grace. Um, each week, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so I stand here today and invite you to come to the table of mercy. I invite you to come and receive fresh grace from Jesus' nail-scarred hands. I invite you to come and eat from His bread of salvation. I invite you to come and drink from the blood of the Lamb. I invite you to come and be reminded that you have been chosen and redeemed and invaded and, and inhabited by Elroy, the God who sees, the God who hears, the God who is mindful of us and is ready, delighted to connect with us anytime we want. You come and you eat and you drink and remember and give thanks if you'd like to today. Bless you.